Because everyone deserves to experience the joy of a beautiful day at the lake. Because if polar bears thrive, humans will too. Because people and wildlife need fresh air, clean water, and healthy places to live. Today on Because Radio, the Winnipeg Foundation recently held a vital conversation called Your Health, the Risks and Realities of Climate Change, and we're pleased to bring you conversations with each of the speakers on this week's program. First, Kim Parada from the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment will join us to talk about how climate change is affecting our physical and mental health. Then we'll hear from Heather Mitchell from the Green Action Centre to learn more about her presentation at the Vital Conversation, Climate Change, and her work at the Green Action Centre. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker, the Farm Fresh Food Hub, practices sustainability through the South Osborne Farmers Market. And we'll have highlights from this week's Because and Effect with Dr. Ian Moreau from the Prairie Climate Centre. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Because Radio. My name is Robert Zirk. And I'm Sunny Promolo. We've got a very special episode of Because Radio for you today. Um, As we mentioned at the top of the show, it's all focused around the most recent vital conversation that was held by the Winnipeg Foundation called Your Health, The Risks and Realities of Climate Change. And that was held last week at the University of Manitoba Brody Centre. There was a really engaging panel discussion uh, with Kim Parada, Heather Mitchell, and Dr. Ian Morrow. And uh, it was really interesting to hear their insights. A little bit alarming as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's, uh, you know, I think you can ag- you would agree with me, Sonny, that we know that the climate is changing, but I don't think I really understood before, um, you know, learning more from the panelists just how bad it can get exactly. so quickly. Um, and especially knowing that that has risks and impacts on our health. In this lifetime, of course, too. Um, yes, absolutely. We're not talking about generations, but, you know, even within the next 5, 10, 20 years, it really put together a lot of the pieces in terms of explaining why climate change is such a pressing issue and uh, and why we really need to focus on taking action as individuals um, and as communities as well. Absolutely. It definitely put things into perspective, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about that today on today's episode. Absolutely. So to start things off, our foundation feature for today's episode, I had a conversation with the keynote speaker from The Vital Conversation, Kim Parada. She is the Senior Director of Climate Policy and Health at the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. And I spoke with her before The Vital Conversation to learn a little bit more about just exactly how climate change is affecting our health and what are some of the things that we can do to reduce those effects. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on environment and animal welfare. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by Kim Parada. She is the Senior Director of Climate Health and Policy at the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, or CAPE. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. 
tell us a little bit about your work with CAPE and, and what you do in your role there. So at CAPE, we're really focused on climate change because we really do see it as the greatest public health threat of this century. And so at CAPE in the last few years, we've been kind of doing a uh, combination of things. We've been doing some advocacy for policies that will actually reduce climate emissions. We're also doing a lot of education of our members. We have a number of volunteer doctors, medical students, public health professionals who really want to engage in the issue and be active. So we've been creating resources. So this year, for example, we created um, a climate change toolkit for health professionals, eight modules that people can use to kind of be engaged in their communities, in their healthcare facilities, or if they just want to kind of engage with their neighbors or run their own workshops in their own communities. So we're trying to engage our members and kind of get them to be more actively engaged across the country. And then um, we're also just really trying hard through um, the media and social media, trying to really help the public understand that climate change is already harming the health of Canadians, and it's going to get much worse unless we can slow our emissions of climate, like climate emissions, and do that very quickly. What are some of the ways that climate change can affect our health and and what are some of the things that you've seen in your research? Well, it can affect health in many different ways, but one of the big ways is that climate change does actually increase the um, frequency and the severity of extreme weather events. So that means we're seeing more, we're seeing longer heat waves, we're seeing more intense rainfall and more floods, we're seeing stronger hurricanes and storm surges, we're seeing longer droughts and we're seeing wildfires. So those are things that we're seeing across the country and all of those things can have a very direct impact on human health but they also have indirect impacts. So for example with wildfires you might have a a community in northern Manitoba that has to be evacuated because of wildfires. And so the the direct impacts are quite obvious, but the indirect impacts are just the trauma for these people. The studies are now showing that people who go through something like a wildfire or flooding, that it actually can create post-traumatic stress disorder in people, and that you can actually see anxiety, higher levels of anxiety and substance abuse in people who've gone through a trauma like that. So there's one one side of it. The other side of it is the wildfires actually create incredible amounts of smoke that then reach communities that are hundreds of miles away. And so then you can have very high levels of air pollution, which are very harmful to the health of those people and those communities. So with every element of climate change, there's this kind of ripple effect. So there are huge impacts on public health, but people aren't necessarily thinking about those. Even if there's not as drastic a change that's happening in your own backyard, you still need to be concerned about what's happening elsewhere because there is that, you know, that crossover that can then affect a wider area than just where it might be, you know, localized to one region of the country, for example. Absolutely. And my sense is that the public, like for 20 years, we've actually been seeing these events getting worse. We've been seeing permafrost melting in the north. We're seeing all kinds of impacts across Canada, but it's been happening gradually. And because it's kind of weather and climate, I think it's been hard for people to really understand that this is what climate change looks like and that it is affecting their health. And I think that changed last summer because last summer we had all these things happening at once. We had one in a hundred year floods in New Brunswick, Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto last year. And then we had extremely hot and humid summer that affected millions of people in central and eastern Canada. And then western Canada had all these wildfires and incredible smoke blanketing their communities for weeks on end. So I think last summer was the 
summer where everybody went, oh my gosh, it's affecting all of us across the country at the same time. So I think that kind of really kind of brought it into people's consciousness in a in a different way, um, which I think is, it's unfortunate we've waited this long, but I think it's good that people are now understanding that we need to do something. What is an immediate health impact that people might notice from the changes that are happening in our climate if they haven't already? Well, I guess if you think about something like extreme heat. So last summer, Winnipeg had more than 21 days over 30 degrees, which is a huge increase over what you would normally experience. So you know, like days, once you're over 30 degrees, you start to have, you can have heat stroke, you can actually aggravate um, chronic diseases like heart disease and respiratory disease. So what our doctor members see is in emergency rooms, all of a sudden they'll have people coming in who can't breathe and who are having troubles with their heart. And we can actually have premature deaths. And we have been kind of documenting that. For example, in uh, Montreal, they did a very good job of documenting that. Last summer, in, in one week, they had 74 deaths that, that occurred because of the extreme heat. So that's something that people can really see right away. Um, in terms of counting the deaths, we aren't necessarily tracking those as well as we should be and could be, but it's absolutely affecting people's health. People need to be aware of how to manage those those changes that are happening when there's extreme weather, when there's things like that. Yeah, I think there's kind of two, two responses. I think one is the society. We have to start coming up with climate change adaptation plans. We have to say, okay, what is our community vulnerable to and what do we what do we need to do if this happens? If we have a wildfire in our community, if we have a flood in our community, what are all the protocols that we need to follow? So we need to do that to plan for it. And individuals need to start thinking about that too. If floods are likely to happen, do they have a kit in their basement? If you, um, if you have children that are out hiking, you should be aware of the fact that there's now some insect-borne diseases like Lyme disease that you kind of have to take some precautions for. But on on the other side, and I think this is the side that Cape really likes to talk about, is that we really need to mitigate. We really need to reduce um, climate emissions, and we need to do it deeply, and we need to do it really quickly. And one of the things that we really like to emphasize as, as health professionals is that a number of the actions that we need to take to fight climate change will actually produce immediate and significant health benefits for the jurisdiction that takes action. So this is wonderful. So I'm just going to give one example. In Ontario, when we shut down the six coal-fired power plants, um, we reduced greenhouse gases from Ontario by 20%, which is just huge. It's a staggering kind of feat. But at the same time, we cut health impacts from air pollution from those plants, and those were valued at about $3 billion per year. So the health benefits of closing those plants, $3 billion per year. So that's Ontario residents not having to go to hospitals, not having asthma attacks, not having strokes because of air pollution. So I think this is something that we really want people to understand is that that we're going to create, when we kind of transform our community, we're going to create healthier, more equitable societies. And that's wonderful. That's, a, that's the good news story. It seems like one of the big myths about people's reaction to climate change is that, oh, if we have to, if we need to make those reductions, it's going to cost so much economically. And yeah, there might be some of that at the outset, but it goes to show that the savings and the, the costs that are saved are much greater when we take those steps. I think one of the examples, so there's a prestigious medical journal called The Lancet, and they took a look at health impacts around the world. 
And um, they found that in one year, there were over 700 kind of disaster level, um, natural disasters that they felt were kind of made more severe by climate change. And they costed it at over $300 billion in terms of the cost of those events. So when you start to look at that kind of thing, you start to realize it's costing all of us more to respond and to address and fix the, the problems from climate change. And I think you're absolutely right that investing in the transformation is ultimately going to cost us all less in money and in terms of our health. You mentioned that CAPE has been involved in developing toolkits to help people take action on mitigating the effects of climate change. What's something that the average person can do in their day-to-day life to contribute to help mitigate those effects? I think that as individuals, there's all kinds of little things that we can do. Uh, For example, just walking more, cycling more. If you have a local, if you have an errand to run, use your bicycle, go for a walk, and then you're getting some physical activity the same time. You can take public transit instead of taking your vehicle. You can retrofit your house and you'll save energy, you'll save costs long term, but you're also reducing greenhouse gases. Um, So there's a number of little things. The other thing is that people are finding that just eating less red meat, that red meat is, um, you know, the production of red meat actually generates a lot of climate emissions. But they also say that if we, you know, if we reduce our meat consumption, it's actually supposed to be better for our cardiovascular health. So, you know, again, there's a number of things that we can do that would actually improve our health while at the same time we're fighting climate emissions. But I would also just like to say that I think it's really important that many of the big things that we have to do as individuals really require good government policy. So if I'm going to use public transit, I have to have an efficient and affordable transit system to use. Well, that requires government policies. If I want to ride a, you know, my bicycle to work or you know to the local store, I need to have safe infrastructure to ride on. So I think as, as a population, one of the things that we really need to get across to our decision makers is that we need really good policies that make it possible for us as individuals to do the right thing. And we have to make it, you know, we need government policies that make it affordable and easy and efficient for us to do all these things. And I know sometimes people will say, well, where's the money to come from? Well, right now we're spending billions of dollars to subsidize the fossil fuel sector. If we redirected those fuel, that money to kind of, you know, redesigning our communities and um, transforming our economies, then, you know, I think we could really make a huge impact. It's just being mindful of the choices that you make, but then also, you know, standing up and advocating for the changes that you want to see. Absolutely. And I think it's just letting decision makers know that you support these changes. I find it interesting that um, I think the population really understands climate change. And I don't think that everybody understands that we're causing it. And certainly scientists all agree. I mean, there's a strong consensus that that climate change is happening because of human activity. But um, the whole population doesn't buy that just yet. But I think um, it's really important for people to, to say to decision makers and to candidates who are running for office that they're worried about climate change and they support big changes because they're worried about the future for their children. What's one or two things that you want people to take away from tonight's vital conversation? I want people to understand that there's an urgent need for very, very deep action on climate change. And we're talking about whether or not the planet will be habitable by the end of the century. That's how severe it is. We are talking about hundreds of millions of people every year being harmed by climate change within 20 to 30 years if we don't 
you know, slow down our emissions right away. So we really have, we're kind of out of time. We've had 20 years. If we started this 20 or 30 years ago, we could have done it more slowly. Now we have to do it really quickly. So we'd want people to understand that, but we also want them to hear that there's reasons for hope. There's new technologies. They're becoming more affordable. Um, they're becoming more competitive with fossil fuels. What we need now are some government policies that help to make that happen more quickly and that also help us to kind of transform our communities in a way that softens the blow for people who, you know, whose jobs are changing and help those communities to kind of transform themselves. So that's what we need right now. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? I think I just really want to emphasize once again that health co-benefit thing. I think sometimes for people, climate change feels very big and very abstract. And that when you kind of look at the health co-benefits, they're very local. So, you know, when, you know, somebody switches from their car to a bicycle, let's say, or takes public transit instead of their own vehicle, we're talking about air pollution health benefits for their children and their their mother, their grandmother. So we're talking about health benefits that will be realized in very short term for people that, you know, that we all love. So I think that's really important for people to understand. Absolutely. Well, Kim, thank you so much for speaking with me today, and I look forward to tonight's vital conversation. Thank you very much. Up next on Because Radio, right after the Winnipeg Foundation's vital conversation on health and the environment, producer Jeremy Morantz caught up with Heather Mitchell, a program coordinator at Green Action Centre and presenter and panelist at the evening's event, to talk about her presentation, climate change, and her work at the Green Action Centre. I'm Jeremy Morantz. We're here right now at the Winnipeg Foundation's event, A Vital Conversation, Your Health, The Risk and Realities of Climate Change. I'm here with Heather Mitchell, a program coordinator at Green Action Centre here in Winnipeg. Thank you so much for joining me, Heather. Yeah, thank you for talking with me. So we just we just went through the night. We heard from our keynote speaker. We heard from you were you were on our panel. Uh, what are what are your thoughts just coming off of the off, off of the evening? There was a lot of emotion and positive energy in this room, and I'm feeling a good sort of refreshed sense of motivation to take action and continue the work that I do. Um, and very hopeful, and especially when with regards to youth, and we've talked a lot about youth and the impacts of them, and um, you know how they they're starting to strike across the world and they don't necessarily have the, the chance to vote, but um, they're, they're carrying the majority of the burden of climate change right now. And so their voice is important. And as uh, a, a voting adults, we have, to, we have to join forces with them and change things now before it's too late. You mentioned you're feeling inspired and refreshed uh, in regards to the work that you do. Tell our listeners what that work is and what your involvement with the Green Action Center looks like. Yeah, definitely. So Green Action Center is an environmental nonprofit that's located in Winnipeg but serves all of Manitoba for more than 30 years now. And um, our kind of our mandate is providing programming and resources and tools to Manitobans so that they can live a healthier and greener lifestyle. Um, and so my work falls under the sustainable transportation portfolio of Green Action Center. Um, our other major focus area is waste reduction, so things around plastic and composting. Um, and so my programming revolves around uh, 
working with both adults and children alike to transition them to greener and healthier modes of transportation, whether it's going to school or work. And so that falls under the Active and Safe Routes to School program and Workplace Commuter Options program. So um, the majority of my time is spent working with youth, and um, which I really enjoy because I'm, I'm often feeling inspired by the know-how and the enthusiasm of youth um, because they know this and they understand it and they, they want to share their voice and they want to take action. And, and so it's really just a matter of kind of empowering them to take action with tools and resources and you know we do a lot of programming where we're in you know on the ground talking with students they've got tools that are measuring air quality so they can see the direct impacts transportation has and how we really need to as a society transition to away from cars what's something that working with youth uh, has taught you I think it's it sort of brought me back to when I was young and and it, it sort of uh, is a mixed a feeling because I feel a sense of disappointment for them because I, I think of the privileges and advantages that I had as a young person and that's inspired me to do the work that I do. Like, I loved being outdoors and playing with frogs and biking to school and I want youth to have opportunities like that now and I know that we can. It's just a matter of both individual actions and collective actions at the policy level changing urban design and built environments, but also significantly changing human attitudes and behaviors too. And so I think back of you know how I was a child and I see these young people and how they're coming together and they're moving forward. And it's sort of, yeah, it's, re it's refreshing. And I think of the enthusiasm I had as a young person and it's very contagious now to, as an adult when I work with youth and it, and it keeps me going for sure. You mentioned there are behaviors that need to shift in order to mitigate the impacts we're already seeing. One of the things that I found most interesting that you touched on this evening uh, in your talk was commuting and transportation and transit. So someone who does drive to work every day, what would you say in terms of mitigating that or trying to find alternative transportation? Oh, there's a few things that come to mind, but I... I primarily don't want people to feel a sense of burden because they're we're you're definitely not alone with 80 almost 80 percent of people in Winnipeg driving um, it, it, we're really enabling that behavior based on the way that we're designing our environment so when we prioritize spending and infrastructure around driving naturally people are going to drive and they will continue to do so unless we prioritize people before vehicles and so it, it really takes an investment in both changing the way we design communities so that driving isn't the easiest and best option the other modes are and they're going to be we're not going to even think twice about it it's just going to be what we do i think too is uh when touching on your piece on you know behavior change and attitude shifts we really have to work as a society as a whole to normalize sustainable transportation so there are a lot of kind of preconceived notions and biases around public transit and walking and biking and I think we need to collectively move towards normalizing it through this it's not an all or nothing so people really become sort of very overwhelmed with the idea of going from their car to a bike every day and cycling and buying all the gear and a really expensive bike but we really encourage people that it, to take it slow it's one step at a time and it's not an all-or-nothing situation it really can be transitioning to a new mode some of the time or part of part of the way even and the, you know that you think of 80% of people driving if the immediate difference we can make if just 
people try three times a week even to work carpooling with go manitoba or you know taking you know the park and ride and, and taking the bus part way even it, w it would make a significant difference you gave a special shout out to peg city car co-op what are some other realistic opportunities out there for winnipeggers and manitobans who are looking to make a change yeah um so I, I think what comes to mind and sort of a little plug for a program at Green Action Center is the Go Manitoba website and app. And so this is a practical tool that people can be using right now to change their transportation behavior. Um, the primary focus of the tool is for carpooling and with such a high vehicle ridership and the way that our, our communities are designed, carpooling is, is a slightly easier transition for people who are not used to driving as opposed to jumping onto a bike. And so really at Green Action Center, we've found over the years that if we can get people to try an easy transition, that over time they can move on to greener and greener modes of transportation. And so Go Manitoba's free to all of people across Manitoba. It, you're finding matches based on your location and, and time frame on where you work or go to school. To facilitate those matches, much like other apps like Kijiji, You've, you're matched up, you communicate through the app, and you can facilitate um, that carpool on a daily basis to work or school. Before you give us all those fun details about how people can learn more about Green Action Center, why don't you leave us with that glimmer of hope and optimism? I think there are a lot of folks out there right now who may be feeling doom and gloom about the state of our climate and the future of our planet. So what's that optimistic uh, hurrah? Oh, the pressure's on. Um, you know, I think... We, I think we have to face the reality that it's urgent and that it is daunting and very overwhelming. And, you know, so many studies are showing that environmental anxiety is a real thing for many people. But I think sort of my, my note of hope is that we, not to lose sight of individual power. So as consumers, as an employer, employee, or a family member, or a parent even, we individually hold a lot of power and, uh, and our voices are important. So talking to your local uh, government and decision makers, sharing your voice, talking to others about what they can be doing. And, and if we each, even though it seems small, if we each utilize our individual power, all of us towards positive change, we can make a big difference. We need systemic change, but we need individual behavior and attitude change too. So we just talked a lot about Green Action Center, you and I, but for our listeners out there who don't know about it, want to learn more about it, what details do you have to give them? I would direct them to uh, visit our website. We have a list of upcoming events, blogs, um, tons of programming and resources that you can get involved with. It's as simply as, uh, as visiting uh, www.greenactioncenter.ca. Heather Mitchell, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, I've been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker is the Farm Fresh Food Hub, which practices sustainability through the South Osborne Farmers Market. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Pomolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Farm Fresh Food Hub's co-chair, Katie Damon, and market coordinator, Asha Nelson. 
Before we get started, could you tell us briefly what is the Farm Fresh Food Hub? Farm Fresh Food Hub is a community service cooperative. Uh, we're governed by a volunteer board of directors, and we're a not-for-profit social enterprise. So it's a lot of words there, but essentially, we are currently running one project, which is the South Osborne Farmers Market. And we're also looking at uh, the creation of a second project, which would be around an aggregation and distribution center for local food called Food Hub. What we do at the South Osborne Farmers Market is really a result of our mission statement, which is to bring together producers and consumers to gather and connect. Um, we have a number of other principles that guide us, uh, including reducing the ecological footprint of our food system. We're really looking at bringing down the overall carbon emissions of our province. And all of this is brought into our work at the farmer's market, as well as our ongoing work. What was your because? What inspired you to create the Farm Fresh Food Hub? I had been doing work with one of my friends who was starting a small farm, and I was really getting versed in the issues of the food system and the issues facing small farmers in our province. And then I learned about this initiative to create a food hub in Manitoba. This was being done through Transition Winnipeg at the time, so this is where the project was born out of. A lot of what we do and how we live in this world really centers around food, and I think a lot of the way that we're going to see climate change impact us is is going to be around food as well. One way you're practicing what you preach is through your zero plastic bag policy. Talk about that and the options customers have when coming to the market. As of this year, we collaborated with the Green Action Center to implement a couple sustainability initiatives. One that was really important to us is banning plastic bags as well as styrofoam. A lot of market goers already are trying to reduce their packaging and so we didn't we weren't too worried about introducing this policy however we didn't want to uh, penalize market goers or businesses if customers came and they didn't have a bag so we also have a take a bag leave a bag project and that means that if someone forgets to bring their bag we have lots of bags available and those bags are dropped off by folks who have extra reusable bags we also thought it'd be a great initiative to introduce a refillable container program there's about i think eight or nine vendors participating they encourage their customers to bring their own jars and containers in exchange for a small discount and you can get them filled there one of the exciting aspects is the chew on this program tell us a bit about that the south osborne farmers market has never really been just a place of commerce we saw that there was a lot of opportunity to introduce this sort of speaker series because a lot of people want to get to know what's happening in their own food system so chew on this started this june and it's a bi-weekly speaker series where we have we invite food experts and activists to come talk about a specific local food issue it's only about half an hour it's very informal folks get a sit in sort of a, a circle and just like have a chance to really connect over some of these topics. On your website, you acknowledge the role that agriculture has played in colonialism in Canada and are encouraged by community-led initiatives to restore Indigenous food systems. What type of initiatives have you come across in starting the market? 
We've been really inspired by a number of Indigenous-led grassroots initiatives throughout the city and throughout the province. We think it's so important to acknowledge the colonial history and the history of farming and colonialism because, as we know, there was a lot of land access for settlers here in our country, and a lot of that land was taken from the Indigenous peoples who lived on the land prior. In addition to that, there's a history of restricting farming access. So there's just a number of issues, and we feel it's important to find ways to support because I think we're all working on those similar goals around food sovereignty and agency over our own food system, and there's lots of alignment there. Um, One of the initiatives that we've probably worked most alongside with is a dehydration project by urban farmer Audrey Logan, and she was our first speaker, actually, at the Speaker Series this year, and she's doing some incredible work around reclaiming some lost Indigenous knowledge around dehydrating food and, and really looking and exploring the potential of how you might dehydrate this food naturally, not just using dehydrators, and then looking at uh, maybe revitalizing trade systems as well between northern and southern Manitoba or other places in, th- in the country. Um, as we know, shipping costs are are huge in northern Manitoba. To dehydrate something, you're taking all the water out, so it's not nearly as heavy, um, and you're reducing your shipping costs substantially. You know, there's other initiatives throughout the province as well. Lots happening in northern Manitoba with uh, the northern Manitoba Food Community Collaborative um, through Tides Canada. There's a chef who we had at our speaker series as well, Chef Steve Watson, who's doing really good work at Commonwealth College to look at creating recipes using only pre-colonial ingredients, which seems like an impossible task. So that's really inspiring. And, and there are countless others. If you start to look for them, there's little pockets here and there of people doing really great work. I think even small acknowledgements like the one we make on our website, reposting articles, those are important steps in the right direction. Unfortunately, uh, the South Osborne Farmers Market will be wrapping up at the end of this month with the last market being next Wednesday. Can we learn about what's going to happen during the last market? Yeah, sure. So our season finale is on September 25th. And so we want to make this a little bit of a fall celebration. It's been a really exciting season and we want to wrap it up right. So we're going to have an open mic night where we're going to invite folks from the community to share their talents and their music. And we're also going to have a crokinole tournament, which is a community favorite at our market. And yeah, and we'll also have a couple other fun surprises. And as always, we have a beer and cider at our market. Uh, for September, we've introduced hot, boozy cider. So that's something that our market gores can definitely look forward to. Let's talk a little bit now about the holiday and Mother's Day market. Just in case people can't make this last one, what can people expect? We're still in the planning stages of our holiday market, but we have set a date. It'll be December 14th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Lord Roberts Community Center. So that's the same space as where our summer farmer's market is held, except it's going to be right in the community center. And that will be an exciting, lively craft and gift market. Um, And we're also going to be having music, potential for some food and lots of other fun things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that our market, our indoor markets have been known for is a delicious brunch. So we're definitely in the planning stages of doing something like that again. As past uh, market goers know, uh, we also do try and focus on making sure we have a high number of food vendors at our market. So we have over 30 vendors at our indoor market and certainly over 50% of those will be food vendors again. So we kind of let people know that it's a place you can come get your food for the holiday season. You can also come get your gifts, but also enjoy your yourself as you shop at the same time. Let's talk a little bit about phase two now to uh, develop a fully fledged food hub. 
What will that look like and how does a food hub work? What it all comes back to is helping both consumers and producers create practices within their own lives that uh, enhance their own resilience, but then also our collective resilience. And um, the Food Hub is really building on that collective resiliency in Manitoba and beyond, especially for our small producers. So what the Food Hub would look like, at least in the initial stages, would be a storage aggregation distribution facility for local food. So we'll work with producers, we'll work with small farmers in Manitoba that use regenerative, sustainable agricultural practices, and we will aggregate their food so it's easier for restaurants and institutions to be able to purchase that food on a bulk, larger scale. We're looking at various ordering systems that might make that more efficient and and easy for people to do that ordering and hopefully be less time consuming. There are other places throughout Manitoba, absolutely, that that offer these services, but really to have one place that's, that's really heavily focused on supporting producers and providing local food options to the folks in Manitoba. We have a really interesting situation here in Manitoba where a lot of our business activities and a lot of our commerce happens in Winnipeg. So, so much of our province's population is located in Winnipeg. So one of our goals of the Food Hub as well is to really provide a linkage between urban and rural Manitoba. And we have such an interesting and and amazing opportunity to be able to do that here in our province with having such a large population in Winnipeg. We're just about done here today, but I'd like to ask all the people that I interview, what is their favorite thing about Winnipeg? I like that Winnipeg is despite its size, it feels so small. Like mm-hmm. it feels like, I, you know, I'm from originally uh, about 30 minutes south of Winnipeg. I grew up in Niverville and honestly coming to Winnipeg, it's a different type of small town field. And I really like that vibe and that energy. Yeah. And just building off that as someone who works in kind of the nonprofit world, I think it's like really exciting that because where you have this small town vibe that there's a lot of passionate people that really can connect and move things forward with just you know folks and seeing things seem to come to life pretty quickly here which i love absolutely a very supportive community before i let you go is there anything else you would like to share and could you let our listeners also know how to find you Absolutely. Please stay connected with us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. You can find us at Farm Fresh Food Hub. And on there, we post all the information about our upcoming markets, as well as any other projects that we have on the go. So that includes Chew on This, our Food Hub development project. We're currently undertaking a survey on local attitudes towards local food. And so if you're interested in seeing the results from from that survey, our AGM is coming up. If you're interested in becoming a member of the organization, we are are cooperative and we are taking subscriptions for supporter members. So lots of opportunities to engage with our organization would definitely welcome you to reach out to us. Visit the South Osborne Farmers Market next Wednesday. It's your last opportunity this season. Thanks to Katie and Asha for sharing their story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sonny Promolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sonny. Up next on Because Radio, the third panelist at last week's Vital Conversation was Dr. Ian Moreau, co-director of the Prairie Climate Center. Because in Effect host Nolan Bicknell will be joining us momentarily to share some highlights from their conversation next up on Because Radio. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Because Radio, Robert Zirk here with you today, and we are now joined in studio by the host of the Because and Effect podcast, and my colleague at the Winnipeg Foundation, Nolan Bicknell. Nolan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey Rob, good to see you again, buddy. Uh, we have you on the show almost every week to talk about the latest guest on Because and Effect, which is the weekly podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where Nolan talks to guests about the causes they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives in sort of a, a long form, deep dive conversation format. Mm-hmm. Um, season two just launched last week with Jennifer Jones. Uh, Nolan, who is your guest this week for episode two of the new season? Yes, yeah, so episode two, Dr. Ian Moreau. He's the uh, principal of Richard Richardson College of the Environment. He's the co-director of the Prairie Climate Center out of the University of Winnipeg. He's a professor there. He's also a filmmaker who's worked with David Suzuki and uh, just an all-around beauty of a guy. It was a really good conversation, all mostly about climate change. We talked a little bit about uh, the role of digital media and social media in that discussion because he's a social scientist as well. And we just talked about the current climate crisis and what people can and should be doing to prepare for it. That sounds like a great conversation. So you often bring us some clips from the conversation to highlight some key moments. Um, what were some of the the really key points that Ian had to say on Because and Effect? Well, to be honest, it was pretty dire. Like he has been living with this climate science and, and doing this stuff for decades. And uh, he basically said that as a global community, we really need to make some pretty big changes to curb the carbon output and try to mitigate the effects of climate change before it's too late. It was a somber and dire conversation at times, but he was actually pretty optimistic and positive thinking throughout as well because he didn't want to just be all doom and gloom. Here's an example of what I mean. You know, when we look at the kind of heat waves that are coming, when we look at the number of plus 30 days that are coming, when we look at the changes in precipitation that are coming, when we look at the kind of extremely hot summers and the extremely cold or warmer winters, you know, we are fundamentally going to see a dramatic change in our country in our lifetimes you and i our kids our grandkids this is going to be a completely different world and that different world is going to have dramatic uh, challenges with it unless we figure out how to kind of bend the curve down how to bring the emissions down but also how to prepare these future generations how to bring people into a conversation that there is a problem do it in a way that doesn't scare people and to get people resourced with the tools, the datas, the data, the, the, the type of information that they require to start making informed decisions. This is real, and I am interested in being a kind of truth teller as I understand it. This is not hyperbole. This is not kind of extreme language just to kind of evoke, you know, listeners or, you know, people to kind of come to the ecological side of the table. That's not what this is. This is literally, you know, a conversation about the future of our species. And again, that sounds insane to kind of talk in that kind of hyperbole. You know, it's like, oh, my God, it's so extreme. But that's actually what the science is saying. Wow, that is a pretty serious wake-up call. It is, and... I mean, that's kind of the message that we have to all get through our heads right now is that the situation is a bit of a grave one. But Ian also sees the crisis as an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to to learn, to grow, evolve together and to create connections and partnerships that can actually solve this thing. 
the lesson here is that we, we, we have to be adaptable. We have to think differently about the future. We might need to think differently and act differently than we've ever acted before, given the scale of the crisis. And so, again, I think as this stuff unfolds, we will see different kinds of processes and different kinds of people coming out of the woodwork and saying, you know what, enough's enough. And when that starts to happen in enough areas, I think we will get to a transformative moment. So Ian's involved with the Prairie Climate Center based at the University of Winnipeg. What are some of the things that he and his team there are working on? One of the coolest things that uh, he mentioned briefly during our conversation is the Climate Atlas. So if you don't know what that is or haven't heard of it, you can go to climateatlas.ca, just all one word, C-L-I-M-A-T-E-A-T-L-A-S.ca, climateatlas.ca. And there's a ton of data. There's stories and videos of people who have already experienced some, some things to do with the climate crisis. Uh, There's suggestions on what you can do. There's data and steps to take. There's stories from people affected by it. It's, It's really an incredible resource. But a lot of what he does through his filmmaking is just basically educating people on what's going on in the world, trying to have people empathize with certain situations. Because even in remote areas like the Arctic, he's made films depicting the lives of the Inuit as as it pertains to climate change. I was trained in a sense by the Inuit to kind of see through their eyes. Um, and that's not uh, a kind of colonial co-option. That's I'm, I want to be very careful there. Um, that that was an invitation in. Mm-hmm. I got invited in to kind of look through that worldview, um, and you know I can do it partially. Again, language is really really important because the the language is locked in the kind of linguistic vocabulary of the culture, and it's different where you go. A lot of my research has focused on collecting people's stories hearing from people, co-developing media with communities that don't necessarily have the skills or the abilities or the resources to, to kind of create that kind of messaging through those kinds of platforms and those kinds of tools. And so I do a lot of participatory video. Uh, we use the medium to engage communities in their knowledge, in their place about the issues that they care about. Um, and we've developed, I, I made lots of different kind of feature films, short films. And I just think that, you know, if you craft the message carefully, if you are cognizant of of the strengths and weaknesses of the technology if you are you know trying to use them for the forces of good uh, I think that there's a real opportunity there to kind of evoke change to pull people in to kind of create a lens that people can look through that might be slightly different than what's on the kind of standard broadcast media that's really great that uh, the Prairie Climate Center is able to take you know a lot of data that you know, the, the numbers themselves may not mean something mm-hmm. to people, but they're able to really synthesize that and provide their insights on what that actually means to regular citizens. Yeah, one, when, one of the questions in the Just Because segment is, um, what, would you, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self? And he said he doesn't want to go back and give advice to 10, his 10-year-old self because the future is not a guarantee. And that's what he kind of said about the climate crisis is these are all just models and it's all what the science is saying, but we can curb things, we can change things, and the future is definitely definitely adjustable and adaptable for us if we if we so choose and as you mentioned uh that's a question part of the just because segment so you asked the same questions the same seven questions to each of your guests um was there another moment that you wanted to share from that as well there was um the very last question is what do you want to be remembered for which obviously isn't an easy question for a lot of people but uh, i loved ian's answer about kindness and i believe it's something we should all be striving for it's an 
exercise in kindness. I think that, you know, if we can find how to be gentle with each other, if we can find how to kind of see the best in each other, even if we disagree, uh, that empathy, that will help, again, to build a more cohesive society. That will help us to actually listen to each other, which is probably one of the most important things. Beautiful words and uh, really a great bookend to a great conversation. Um, if people want to hear the full podcast with Dr. Ian Moreau, where can they go? Sure. You go to becauseandeffect.org, all one word, because, A-N-D, effect.org. And this conversation, the, the podcast was the longest one we've ever done because Ian uh, was such a wealth of knowledge and was so giving and open with his time and opinions and thoughts and, and feelings on things. So it was a really good conversation. You can listen to any of the podcasts. They're all free if you go to becauseandeffect.org or if you search on Spotify or iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts, just search Because and Effect and you should see my face and you should see uh, all 14 now episodes. Excellent. So be sure to subscribe. Becauseandeffect.org, again, is the website to get all the links to how you can subscribe to the podcast and uh, get these fascinating, wonderful conversations every week right to your mobile device or computer. Thank you so much, Nolan, for being here today and sharing more from your conversation. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert and Sonny here with you today, and uh, we hope you've been enjoying the conversations that we've had with the panelists from the vital conversation, Your Health, The Risks and Realities of Climate Change. Just a note that if you'd like to listen to the full vital conversation, the full discussion from the event, you can actually hear the audio from the event by going to winnipegvitalsigns.org. So again, the website to uh, listen to last week's Vital Conversation is winnipegvitalsigns.org. Um, just go there and then you'll find the uh, audio player on the page where you can listen to uh, the entire Vital Conversation. Absolutely. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sunny Promolo. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.